You're listening to audio from the Regenerate Podcast, a ministry of River City Church in Lewiston, Idaho. For more information about Regenerate, visit rivercitychurch.us. Okay, but at the end of the day, um, this is more about what you can do and what you are called to do rather than what you cannot do. Because God is interested in taking what you have, like so many loaves and fishes, and making it into something useful that actually benefits lots of people. Amen. So what we're going to be doing tonight is we're going to be looking at this next phase of teaching. Because last week he was talking about old old people. And it's kind of intimidating, right? For Titus, it's like, I'm supposed to teach. Titus is a young leader. Okay, This is in the first century in, in Crete. And Paul tells Titus, I want you to teach the older men and I want you to teach the older women. Which is crazy. Because you're like, how, you know, Titus is a young guy. He might be my age, maybe even younger. He might be in his 30s, in his 20s. And he's supposed to teach people who are older, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s. And he's supposed to instruct them in the ways of the faith. And he's supposed to instruct them in Christian character. That's kind of intimidating. But one of the things that Paul keeps emphasizing for Titus is, and encouraging him in is that this is exactly where God wants him to be. And that he has been commissioned and called by God to do this. So now... Um, we're going to be getting into this next portion where he's talking about young people. So this is going to be being addressed specifically to you. But before we get into it, though, I just wanted to say that, you know, it's interesting how, you know, um, our daughter here, like, who uh, is on her way out right now. Um, she, uh, so uh, she's really awesome with vegetables uh, for the most part. But there's a lot of kids out there who don't like their vegetables. How many of you guys grew up, you, you loved your veggies? Okay, you guys, gosh, you guys are such good, we're such good children. Did any Either that or your parents just straight up lie to you and they're like, yeah, you love vegetables, but you actually didn't. And they're just like trying to, they're trying to like repress the feelings of like rage that they feel um, about your young, your younger years. Yeah. So they, but, but many kids, like they struggle with, with vegetables. They're like, I don't want to eat that because what do they want? They want the sugar. They want the carbo, the simple carbohydrates. They want the thing that gives them a quick high and then they crash super hard. Right? Like kids just want that. And, and a lot of times we're the same way, right? Isn't it funny how sometimes we bristle at the thing that is the most healthy for us? It's easy to look at the thing that is going to cause us to flourish and to grow. And sometimes we go, I don't want that because I just want a quick fix. In our culture, we're addicted to quick fixes. We want the feeling of just being, of feeling better, of homeostasis for the time being. And we're content with whatever will give us that. When in fact, I believe that God has in mind for you and for me a deeper flourishing than we can actually imagine. A deeper, a deeper sense of growth and maturity and a deeper sense of God's goodness than we have yet experienced. Anybody believe that? That God has a, God has a deeper relationship with him and a deeper, um, uh, a deeper calling and purpose for your life than you can even imagine right now. So you can't even imagine it, so maybe it's hard to say amen. But in Titus chapter 2, we're going to be in verses 4 through 8, but actually we're going to start in verse 3. So everybody, let's stand to our feet real quick. We're going to read scripture together. And as we do this, the words are up there on the screen. We're going to pick up where we left off last week where he's talking about older women. And now he's going to move into addressing younger people. So let's read all together out loud right off the screen in three, two, one, go. Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good. Here we go. And so train the young women to love their husbands and children to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, 
urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. This is God's word. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we invite you into this place tonight. We ask you to open up our hearts and our minds so that we might know you. We ask you to do the revealing and to do all of the work in our souls that needs to be done tonight. We're coming here hungry to hear from you, God, to understand your word, and furthermore, to apply that to our lives in such a way that we are transformed from glory to glory. We don't want to leave this place the same, and we don't want to leave this place just having head knowledge. We, want, we do not want to be, as James says, hearers of the word only, but we want to be doers. We do not want to deceive ourselves, God. So would you impact us tonight? Would you, would, you, would you move in this place tonight? God, let my words be your words. I want to serve you with the things that I say, so let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your God. And, and, and you are God, our strength and our redeemer, God. We just, we love you. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Yes, or the words of my mouth be acceptable in your sight, O oh God. All right, so we're going to talk about young women and young men. And uh, these are two distinct classes of people, but we're also going to talk about a third class of person within the early church, which is the leader himself. So um, we're going to be talking about a super fun topic that nobody likes to talk about, and that is character. Somebody say character. Yes. All right, so character, we're going to be in, so this, this is my first point right here. We're going to be talking about Christian character and young women. Now, some of you young women are like, I don't need no man to tell me about how to, okay, hold up, first of all, to tell me how to live my life, you know, um, that's, first of all, that's, that's wonderful, very 21st century uh, of you, but, the, um, but this is the thing, how, God actually has in mind for you a design that actually brings about your flourishing, whether you are male or female, wherever you come from, God actually has a design for you, the Bible teaches, that actually will bring you life. And that's why it says in Psalms that, that God's word, uh, like the psalmist said in Psalm 119, that he delights in the word of God. He talks about how the word of God brings him life. Happy is the one who follows God's precepts. It actually brings about life. However, um, in this passage, what we're reading is a letter from one leader, one, one Christian leader, Paul, to another, Titus, giving him instruction on how the church is supposed to function. And I think what's really interesting is, first of all, that it is primarily familial in nature. Yes, the church is organism as well as organization, but it should only be organization in so much as it serves the purpose of the organism, which is to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that Jesus has commanded us. Amen? That's the mission of the church. That's what we're here, to, here for. So the only reason that we have structures, the only reason that we have leadership, is so that we can fulfill God's commission in a broken world. And so here we are in this place where he's saying we need to have in place some structure, but the primary language that he uses is familial. So I love this. He says, I want the older women to teach what is good. Teach what is good. And so train the young women. Pause here. He says, I want the older, look at this. They are to teach. They are to teach. They are to teach what is good. 
Some of you ladies may have grown up in church environments where you were told that you cannot teach a man. And uh, we don't have time to theologically debate that. You can send that in for your theological debate or question of the week or whatever. We can, we can talk about it. We can chop it up. But let me tell you guys something. That God actually, there are some parts of God's character that are distinctly feminine that can only be handed down through a feminine voice and a feminine model. And that's you. You have something unique that comes for the kingdom of God. What's interesting is this. He says this, that, that, that it is older women, he says, that should be training the younger women. Does that mean that men cannot teach women? No. Doesn't mean that, that women cannot teach men. Not necessarily. But what it is saying is this, that primarily, uh, why, why is it that the older women should be doing this? Because as much as I can try, as much as I, I can try, I cannot be a model of biblical femininity for you. I can't. I, I can't. I, I, don't, I don't have that about me. I don't have that femininity about me and I'm not able to convey that in the way that God designs it. And so he says, I want women to be able to model for you something that a man just simply can't do. And so what are the things that they're supposed to model? He says, I want them to teach what is good. And then our our whole um, section of verses here starts with a henna clause. It's uh, it's a transition word in Greek. It means so that. Um, And so train the young women. And actually it says young to love their husbands and children. And to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind of submissive to their own husbands. Now, some of you guys are reading this going, this sounds super tradish. I am an American and I don't care. So uh, you're, you're, like, you're like, I don't care about all this. This sounds like super sexist and I'm really upset right now. So there, there are certain things, though, that, that are distinctly feminine about God. Did you know when God first revealed himself to Moses in Exodus 34, it says the very first word that he uses to describe himself, he says, the Lord... Gracious and compassionate. That word for compassionate, one of the very first words God used to describe himself is actually derived from the Hebrew word for a womb. A safe place of growth and distinctly feminine nurturing. God actually describes himself, this shows, again, God is neither male nor female, but he describes himself distinctly in feminine terms to begin with because he wants humanity to know that he is a safe nurturing place and there's something feminine about that that only the femininity of, of women can bring out and who God's character is supposed to be like so he said but I don't like this translation and here's why the ESV says I want you to train the young women to love their husbands and children and it makes it sound like instantly he's going into a list of what you should do right and a lot of times we get obsessed with what we should do as Christians what's the next thing I need to do what do I need to do in order to get this Right? I need to do X plus Y to equal Z. Right? I, I, can't, I was going to use a better math metaphor, but I suck at math. So I'm very sorry. I, don't, uh, that's like, I, I quit after Algebra 2. Like I was just done. Like second year Algebra and I was done. I almost failed finite mathematics when I was here at LC. Go Warriors. Um, is, and uh, is Masood still teaching math here? He, he taught that class. <laughs> He's... He does? All right. He's the, he's the man. Um, he liked me. Thank God. Otherwise, I would not have passed that class. Okay. Sorry, I digress. So, let's, so what does he say? I, I don't like that it starts off with this kind of like to do this, do this, do this. Because in the Greek, the verb there is ainai, which is an actual, actually an infinitive verb, and it is to be. To be. The first word, verb that occurs in the first command is to be. And so what all these happen to be is actually a descriptor for the infinitive. Now, it does have an imperative force to it, but he's saying you are called to be. Ladies, let me just start by saying this. Young women, you are called to be more than you are called to do. 
Because the world will tell you that you are called to do a thousand different things and you've got to be perfect at every single thing. But what he's saying is you are called to be something. Somebody say to be. Somebody say, or not to be. No. Uh, <laughs> so uh, to be. God has called you to be something. He says you're called. And let, here's some of the things that, he, that he's calling the women to do. Now, these are women in ancient Crete. Most of them are in, are in families where the, the only way that you can make it in life is to have a husband and child. Now, that is not necessarily the way the world works now in the Western world. But we can still glean something from this. He says you are to be. Here's some of the things not to do. You are not called necessarily just to do. You, because guess what? I know somebody who did a whole lot. In fact, when he finished everything that he did, he said it is done. It is finished. And his name was Jesus. He already did it for you. So you don't have to be perfect. You don't have to try to do all the things. You don't have to have the perfect Instagram because Jesus is already your perfection for you. So let's get into this. He says, yes, thank you for that. Um, so you are called to be, first of all, he says husband loving. Some of you are like, I ain't got a husband. Well, if you do, love the guy, <laughs> right? So he's saying, this is interesting. It's like you are to be what? A person who, is, who loves their husband. So this is not so much a list of like, oh, figure out his five love languages and, you know, and then you have to do this and have to do that. And no, no, no. This is like, this is the, are you the kind of person who is, who is loving towards their husband? If you are married or if you're headed in that direction, are you that kind of person? Next one, children loving. Aw, you all saw my children earlier. Kids are great. Kids are also the devil. <laughs> I'm, I'm just going to say it right now. I, I. You would be surprised as a full-grown man, a four-year-old girl has made me cry more times than I can, like, it, it's unbelievable. Like, kids, kids are great, but they are also crazy. And then God is calling you, at, and he's saying to the young women, he want, I want the older women to teach them to be the kind of person who loves children. Who, and you know what, this does, again, this does not mean that you have to be in love with kids. Like, my mom, my, my mom was not, never like, there's some of those people who grow up, you know, especially like girls who grow up in the Christian church. They're just like, I love kids. I just like, I love nursery and like just serving. It's nothing against you people. We love you because otherwise we have to put up with our kids like the entire church service and we don't want to do that. So, um, but you're like, I just love serving in the kids ministry. And I love the kids and stuff and bless, God bless their hearts. My mom was like, I don't like that. I don't like kids. Like, which explains my sad childhood. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I had a great childhood. But she, uh, she was like, not, she loved me and my brothers. I have two brothers. But she was not like a, I'm going to go out of my way to take care of other people's kids. I'm like, I'm not going to wipe up, they vomit. Like somebody else can handle that. I don't want to do that. Right? And so uh, husband loving, children loving. And here's another one that is extremely important. And I'm going to come back to this. Self-controlled. Are you the kind of person who has self-control? Do you just have to share the juicy gossip? Do you just have to let it loose? Do you have to just let your tongue fly when you're angry at somebody? Do you have to or do you have self-control? Next, he says, ladies, I want the young ladies to be pure. This is undivided. Ladies, how many of you would like to live with an undivided heart where you're not split in a thousand different directions? Feeling like you have to, uh, you have to live in such a way that you are fulfilling everybody's desire except your own. My Bible says that God grants you the desires of your heart. God wants to give you a pure, undivided, united heart. And, and then he talks about somebody who, who loves homemaking. You're like, oh my gosh, I'm not a Pinterest girl, okay? I'm just not, okay? You're like, I'm, I like pumpkin spices the next, as much as the next one, but I'm not a Pinterest, you know? I don't do shiplap, okay? I don't, I, don't, I, I don't do that. My dorm, 
looks like a prehistoric, like, it's, it's awful. I know that I'm a terrible, un, unclean person, right? right? Maybe you're in that position, but he says that you ought to be the kind of person who wants to make a home. What am I talking about when we, what are we talking about when we're talking about a home? A place of nurturing and care and growth and comfort. And this is something, again, it's distinctly in the feminine nature of God that he expresses through women. I think it's amazing. Because us dudes, like, I don't know about you, but like, I, <laughs> um, I, I remember living at a, in a bachelor pad and it was uh, something, you know. Um, there, was a, <laughs> there was one time I spilled some, some soup on the floor in the living room. And it looked like a freaking murder scene because it was tomato soup, you know, like it was just like pfft, everywhere. And we just left it because we're like, uh, well... I didn't want to clean it. I tried to clean it up a little bit, but I was like, we can't pay to have the carpet shampooed or anything. They're like, no, nah, dude, let's just, well, hopefully it doesn't like, I don't know, make us sick or something. We just left it. Like, we just freaking left this nasty spot. And so like, a guy, I don't know, we're very utilitarian. We're like Jeeps, you know? Like, we're just like, there's very few moving parts. It's very easy to fix. And just as long as we can get from point A to point B, you know, we're fine. Anyway, but ladies, you have a way of making an, even just your living environment something that just has the fragrance of heaven about it. And so that does not mean that you have to be a home, stay-at-home mom, okay? It, it, can I just throw that out there, that you don't have to be a stay-at-home mom? Praise God. Like, you can pursue your career, aid to the men. You can do that if you desire. And if you want to be a stay-at-home mom, you can do that if you so desire. But are you the kind of person who is a home who is somebody who is a homemaker, a person who makes a home what it is? Are you kind? And then he says, are you submissive? Are you, I want to teach you to be submissive. And you're like, I told you, I don't need no, I don't need anybody, especially you, Mr. Whoever you, I, I just saw that you had kids. I don't even know if they're your kids. Like there could be somebody else's kids and you're pretending to be, you know, no, what I'm saying is uh, you might be looking at me and just going, well, who are you to say, Keep in mind, first of all, he says, be submissive to whom? Look at the text. It's right here. We'll look back at it. He says, self-controlled, verse 5, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands. You do not have to live in submission to men just because that's not what the Bible is teaching. What the Bible is teaching is that when you are in a covenant relationship with a man who, with this husband, with, with a husband, you need to be willing and be the kind of person who is willing to put down their desires in order to lift up the other person. And don't worry, husbands, we got our own work cut out for us because I'm coming after young guys in a second, okay? So he said, and now you might go, okay, that's great. Why should we do all that? Why is this so important? And he actually gives us another hinna phrase here. He says, you are called so that the word of God... Look at this. Look at this. He says this word of God may not be reviled into verse five or slandered because can I tell you something? Your life preaches louder than any sermon you may ever teach. Your life and your character preach way louder than anything else in your life. Anything else that you may produce, anything that you may say, any song that you may write, any art that you may create, your life speaks volumes and ultimately, the only way that people are led closer to Jesus is by being in close proximity to those who are in close proximity to him. Amen. Does your life smell like that? So, now we move on to young men, verse 6. Now he says, Titus, I want you to teach the young men. Now it's interesting, he says, I want the older men to teach the young women. Why? Because they can be the model of biblical femininity. Now, Titus, you're a dude. So I'm going to just get straight to the point with you. And guys, 
Um, we don't need all of the, we, I don't know, we're generally, we're, like I said, we're pretty simple for the most part. Um, we're pretty straightforward about things, and I love this. Paul is super straightforward. He says, Titus, here's what you need to tell him. <clears throat> Ready? Verse 6 is a very short verse. Look at it. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. That's it. That's the only instruction for young men. Self-controlled. The word there is sophronine. Or sophronine. It means to, it's, a, it's an infinitive uh, verb. It actually appears, this verb appears 10 times in the New Testament. Four out of those 10 are right here in the book of Titus. So it's really interesting. First, he mentioned it when he was talking about elders in, verse, in chapter 1. Then he talked about older men being self-controlled. He talks about young women being self-controlled. I don't know why he says older women. He doesn't mention it with older women. Probably because, like, older ladies have got it figured out. Like, what if, I mean, you know what I mean? Like, what if you got against grandma? Nothing. You know, so, uh, anyway, she, she's steady Eddie, man. But, so, like, but then he says, young men, and I, he boils it all down to this one issue. But I think it's interesting that it pops up over and over. Because he said this to the young women as well. And I kind of skipped it over. But to the young men especially, he says, you need self-control. The word here is actually the same word that is used to describe the demoniac in Mark chapter 5 and in Luke chapter 8. Um, when it says that, remember the story? Jesus goes to Gennesaret. He gets there and there's this dude, this crazy demonized dude who's lived up in the hills. And he's been up there for so long. He's been cutting himself and just living among the tombs. And nobody, they tried to chain him up and that didn't work. And so he sees Jesus from a long way off and he runs over to him. And then he's like, and he's kneeling down there and he's like, what did you to do with us, Jesus, son of the most high God? And they're like, just like freaking out. And Jesus is like, now contrary to Catholic teaching, I don't believe this, that he was asking for the name of the demon. Jesus says, hey, what's your name? And I think he was honestly expecting him to say something like, oh, Greg. You know, like, um, <laughs> but instead he's like, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he's like, okay, you shut up and leave now. And they're like, please don't kill us. We'll go to those pigs over there. He's like, fine, I wasn't feeling poor today anyway. Go. So they go, you know, they, they enter the pigs. 2,000 pigs die. It's crazy. But then it says this. That when the people saw him dressed and in his right mind, they were afraid. The people came and they're so used to this guy living in so much distress and so much darkness that when they saw him sane, it actually made them scared. They saw him sane and the word also can uh, connote the idea of being soberly wise. Which is why Paul uses it in 1 Timothy to describe the quality of an elder. Peter says in 1 Peter 4, 7, that we should be sober-minded because the end of all things is close at hand. <laughs> a self-controlled dude. When they see a young man who is self-controlled, it's almost scary. You know why? Because psychology tells me that your prefrontal cortex is not fully developed until you are 25, which is why you will do stupid things. Like, you will just do reckless things as a young man. You're, it's like, should I drive my bike off this cliff? You're like, yeah, sounds like a good idea. Why? Because you have never thought for a second about the actual consequences of what could happen. Right? Now, I love that. I love your recklessness as young men because, hey, we need that. Like, those are the risk takers, right? I mean, it takes a crazy dude. Like, the Wright brothers flew an airplane. Like, nobody had ever done that before, you know? It's like, you've you got to have that kind of risk-taking factor. But at the same time, he's saying, I understand that about you. But he's like, young men, you need self-control. Because if you figure this one thing out, all the other stuff is going to be figured out. You've got to figure out how to control yourself. You've got to figure out how to control your impulses and your passions. You've got to learn not to fly off the handle and hurt somebody just because you're angry. You've got to learn to control your sexual desires so that you are not dumping it into the dumpster fire of porn and destroying your life. 
and then further on destroying your marriage down the line because it will affect you in the future. I can promise you that. You need to figure out how to control yourself. And you go, and, it's, and it is frustrating. I know this as a young man. Growing up, it can be frustrating. But I grew up with those guys. You know those guys who grew up and they had no boundaries. They had absolutely no self-control and they left a wake of destruction in their path. Broken hearts, broken relationships, multiple partners, multiple babies, multiple hospital bills, right? This is the kind of guy that you don't want to be. And the key to it is self-control. Actually, this has been brought to, to mind for me a lot this last week. I was just meeting with uh, Ben Goodman. Actually, he's going to be speaking on Sunday. And actually, this was in a meeting. He was teaching our, our prophetic team about what does it take to actually grow in the prophetic, in your gifting. And one of the things he said that stuck with me, he said, maturity, maturity, right, is measured by your ability to control your tongue. I was like, what? He was telling a story about how he's meeting with a mentor of his who said, Ben, what, what is the mark of Christian maturity? He said, oh, well, it's a knowledge of scripture and it's, you know, learning to love your neighbor more or, you know, it's being more wise. You know, he's like, look at James chapter one, verse two and tell me what it is. And it says in James one, two, that if you can control your tongue, you can control everything about your life. And then a few verses later, it says, no man can control his tongue. <laughs> Bummer. That's a weird paradox. So if we lack self-control and that self-control is the key to our maturity as believers, as young men, how are you, how are you supposed to have self-control as young women? Cause it's also a command to young women. How are you supposed to have self-control? How are you not supposed to send that angry text? How are you not supposed to pass on that, that, go- that juicy gossip? How are you not supposed to hurt that person or get back at them or get vengeance? How are you not supposed to do, uh, do those th- pursue those sexual desires just because you feel lonely? How are you not supposed to do those kinds of things when you know that it's unhealthy for you? You can feel it in your conscience because it's, it's weighing on you. What are you supposed to do? Well, Jesus said in Mark chapter 7 that out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, Right? So he said, out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual morality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within a person and they defile him. So you go, okay, well, how am I supposed to get self-control? Where do I go? Go to Galatians chapter 5. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Faithfulness. You guys got it. You're better than me. You're holier than me. I got it. Yeah, and, and self-control. Right there. Right? So there it is. How do, you get, how do you get self-control? You need the Holy Spirit. The only way that you are going to grow in the faith and the only way that the impact of these older believers to younger believers was going to work out was that the, is if you are in step with the Holy Spirit. And so that leads us into the final point because now he says, okay, Titus, I want you to do this. I want you to teach these young men. And that goes to our third point, Christian character and a leader, verses seven through eight. So he says, what, what, so what is Titus supposed to do with this? What is he supposed to do with all this, uh, with his position? He's a younger man, but he's got some responsibility because Paul has just told him, I want you to go around the island of Crete and I want you to establish elders in every single town so that way that each Christian community has a leader that they can look to for growth and, and for comfort and all that kind of good stuff. So what are you supposed to do? Well, he says, I want you to show a tupas or type or example or demonstration or model of good works. I want you to show them a model of good works 
in you. And uh, so because, again, I love this because all of this goes back to one thing. That God is interested in developing your character. Hear, hear me this. God is interested in developing your character. And it's more important to him than your calling. And it's more important to him than even your temporary feelings which come and go. It is more important to him than anything else about your life. He wants to build your character. Why? Because he sees Jesus in you. And it is through the work of the Holy Spirit and in obedience to him that you begin to have those blocks chipped away until the masterpiece starts to come out. Like a sculptor looking at a piece of granite, chipping away, chipping away. Right, a great painter sees the image before he puts the, the, the brush to the canvas. That's what God sees in you. Are you willing to let him do that? You've got to be a type of good work. So I want you to be a model of good works. We've all seen plenty of stories. If you follow any kind of like Christian news outlets or anything like that, we've seen plenty of stories of Christian leaders who have not shown good character, right? Uh, there's plenty of high-profile stories of pastors who have screwed up big time, right? So he's saying, I want your life to be a model of good works. And you know what's crazy is every time that happens, what is the thing? Like, if you're, like, I don't know if you, if you have been like me, but anybody listen to podcasts? Like, you listen to, like, preachers on sermons. Or yeah, so I like to do that. But there's certain people that I, I had to stop listening to because I'm like, dude, I just, oh, I just feel defiled, you know? I feel like that's just trash, you know? This guy's just trash. And I can't, I can't handle that. So, and it's, it's not that the message was bad, but the vehicle through which the message comes, and it's in many ways just as important as the message itself. So he says, I want you to be a model of good works. And uh, I want you to teach with integrity, with dignity. You need to teach with integrity. That means you need to know your theology. Your stuff needs to be tied together tightly. And if you guys are going to be leaders in the future church, it is not going to be enough. Hear me. It is not going to be enough to read a lot of Christian books and listen to some good podcasts. You need to read the word on your own for yourself and learn to understand it for yourself. Now, we're happy at Regenerate to help you guys develop those things. And, and if you ever want some like, tips on how to do that, please talk to me. Talk to some of the other leaders. We want to show you the fundamentals of how to walk as a Christian so that way you can actually grow and learn to facilitate growth. Right? It says that uh, 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 God wants, in, in Ephesians, I believe it's Ephesians chapter 4, he says that uh, he's, he wants the body itself to grow in love. So if you want to grow, you have to, there are some things you have to practice yourself. So he says, I want your teaching to be with integrity and with dignity and with a word uh, um, that is above reproach, right? Well, he says, um, he says, sound speech that cannot be condemned. <laughs> Another way you can see that is I want you to preach with a word that is above reproach. The way that you preach should not be able to be condemned by people who don't understand you or are from the outside. Now, why? Now, again, I disagree with the, with the way they translated this a little bit. He says, so that the opponents may be put to shame. And that kind of has this idea of like, ha-ha, like I won. Like I, I won a theological debate and I am smarter. I proved that I am superior. And I don't think that's actually the idea here. What he's saying is that word is actually a passive verb and actually means to have respect. So people who are outside the church who don't know anything about God should be able to look at you and go, you know, I got nothing bad to say about Grady. I mean, like, dude, that guy, which, by the way, I don't. Um, so uh, Grady's a great guy. Um, anyway, um, so it's like I got nothing bad to say about that dude, right? I got nothing bad to say about Morgan. I got nothing bad to say about Rebecca because there's, there's, their life, although I'm, they're not perfect, it expresses the, the beauty and the love of God. So it commands, and that commands respect. Respect, yo. 
And so, like, that's, that's the thing. It's like, you want people to be like, I respect you. Even though I don't understand you exactly, I respect you. Actually, it reminds me of, of Her- King Herod when he was spoke, speaking with John the Baptist. John the Baptist is telling him, um, this is in just this is before, in G- during Jesus' lifetime. John the Baptist tells King Herod, you need to put away your wife. You married your brother's wife, and that's against the law of God, and God is mad at you. And it says... Get this, like Herod, if I'm Herod, I'm going, cool, I'm going to kill you right now. But it says that Herod was greatly perplexed and he wanted to, he wanted to continue listening to him. He was like, wow, I've never had anybody step toe to toe with me and tell me that I'm wrong. But I also have nothing to say about this guy. He's crazy. He like, he like eats locusts and said, this guy's crazy. Like, but he's like, but I can't, I mean, wow. You know, there's something about him where he just commanded respect. Does your life command respect just as much as your teaching? Because you guys, some of you guys are going to grow, as you guys grow in the faith, some of you guys are going to be teaching sermons. Some of you guys may be doing the stuff that I do someday or more, or, or and my prayer is that you guys will have a far greater platform than I'm ever going to have. Because I want, uh, I want the kingdom of God to expand. But he says, I want them to have respect and I want them to have nothing bad to say about you. Nothing bad. A friend of mine passed away this summer. Really good friend of mine. Um, and... Uh, I remember, uh, so we went, he was uh, Native American, he was a member of the Cayuse tribe. And so we go out to Pendleton, um, Cayuse tribe is part of the Umatilla Confederation, so we go out to the Umatilla Longhouse out there. And, um, they have a tradition called 21 drums, where they, there's these drummers who, perform, who uh, play on these, on these drums, and then we, you dance around the casket in this spot in the Longhouse called the Wash. And this is part of their religious tradition. So we're going around, and... I remember at certain times they would stop and people, anybody who was standing in the inner circle could share a story about the deceased. And what's crazy is I saw all these people, he, had, he was on fire for Jesus. And he was also like totally, like he was totally in touch with who he was as a native man, which is so cool to me. I was just like, dude, like he knows who he is as a native man, but also he is so in love with Jesus. And all these people went around and, and, and it was crazy because his life, he, uh, like he grew up in the sticks in Bonners Ferry, Idaho, where I grew, where I actually, I grew up. And so it was myself and a couple other little white kids, you know, in the, in the circle who just had some fun memories from church and stuff. And, and then he went to Portland and he got jumped into a gang when he was in junior high, I think. And so he had all these thugs from Portland who were there, like all vested up and everything. And, um, and then he had a bunch of people, uh, from the native community in full regalia and just these beautiful, all this beautiful clothing and stuff. And they were, expressing all each of them had this other had this perspective on him and, and it was amazing to hear all these stories and not one person not one person had something bad to say now you go well that's a funeral but there was something about the fact that when we went around the circle every i always felt like i was his best friend but when we went around the circle there's so many people who said like i felt like he was my best friend and i was like man i want my life to be like that i want people to be like he was my best friend. And then I want other people to be like, no, he was my best friend. Like, he, he couldn't, that can't possibly be true. But he had so many people who really genuinely believed that he was their best friend because anytime he'd spend time with you, he would, I remember he would sit with me and whatever we were doing, he'd be like, this is so pleasant. This is wonderful. <laughs> like, isn't this just a great time? This is a good time. And I'm like, yeah, it doesn't matter what we're doing. Sitting in the car, driving around, listening to Blink-182 or like Emery or like freaking hardcore music. Blah, you know, um, he was, because he was also into the hardcore scene and stuff like that. And, 
Um, man, but it was crazy having nothing. These people just all, they, they felt this way about him. Do people at the end of your life, are people going to have nothing bad to say about you? Or are you going to be the person who, when you pass away, people are going to get awkward when they stand up? Yeah. Uh, he was, uh, uh you know, something, you know, do you want to be that person or do you want a person to be a person who at the end of your life, it just continues to reverberate with the glory of God. Cause I'll tell you something, the person that we follow, this God man, Jesus, that Titus was sharing the good news about, he had a teaching that was above reproach. You know how I know? Because when they accused him, they said, are you the son of God? He said, I am. And that was the only thing they could pin him on. Because it said that many people tried to stand up and accuse Jesus of wrongdoing, but their testimony did not agree. They could not agree on one wrong thing that Jesus did because he was flawless. He was absolutely perfect. And he sacrificed that perfection so that he could share his perfection through the Holy Spirit with you. And if you'll accept Jesus by faith, even tonight, even if you've never met him before, he will change your life and you will be on a trajectory to where when you do finally go to be with him in that most beautiful day of your life, then that on that day, people are going to remember the glory of God that reverberated through your life. Amen. So, young women, be who God has called you to be. Be self-controlled. Yes, be kind, be pure. And young men... Above all, you must be self-controlled. Learn to control yourself and let the maturity of God grow in you. A tree is known by its fruit. Amen. So, amen, is God not good? Because God is in the process of making you into exactly who he wants you to be. Here's our questions for tonight. We're going to split up into regroups and ask this question. Number one, what was confusing about this passage? Number two, where do you see the gospel in this passage? And number three, yeah, here's a fun one. What character issues do you need to allow God to change in you? And how do you think that happens? It's a question worth discussing tonight. And uh, also, and some of you guys are like, I'm new here. I don't want to talk about my problems. That's fine. Okay. Um, but I encourage you guys to actually share. Everything that gets shared in our regroups is confidential. Okay. And we would love to hear from you and to encourage you tonight. So. That said, uh, where's my man Jared at? Right here. Okay. If you don't know where to go, Jared right here will point you in the right direction and get you tied into the right regroup. So uh, Charles over here is going to lead one group. You're going to follow him out the doors. Uh, Cadence, you can go with which, whatever group you want. Um, and then uh, Jared, are you going to go with Charles then? Okay. And then the other half you can stay. And then Cadence, you want to stick with me then? Okay. Cool. So Jared will get you to the right regroup if you've never been in one. If you remember your regroup, go with that group. Let's split up and go, and we have about 20 minutes. Go. So our, my regroup, we're going to be meeting right down here. So come on down here. Alrighty, alrighty. Yeah. Okay.
Thanks for listening to this week's sermon from the Regenerate Podcast. And if you enjoyed our content, please feel free to subscribe. If you have any questions or would like to send us feedback, send us an email at regeneratelcsc at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Regenerate, changing the world for Jesus, one person at a time.